Hello and welcome to another episode of Dear Ruby, a podcast where we try to listen to what people are talking about when it comes to their personal finances and bring them the answers that they want. And during COVID-19, there has been a lot of questions about what to do with your money, what to do with your mortgage payments, what to do with your day-to-day costs, how to make money uh, last longer when a lot of people are out of work, a lot of people have had reduced hours, and a lot of people, even those who are working, are worried about whether their company is going to be able to keep them on. Uh, we've been bringing you a weekly podcast uh, to get you up to date on what's been happening during the week when it comes to uh, your money, when it comes to personal finance, because every week we hear about different programs that are announced by the governments, different companies that announce uh, relief for their clients, and it can be a lot to navigate. It can be a lot to figure out for people who are um, already dealing with the anxiety of social social isolation and uh, social distancing and maybe worried about their own health and wellness and on top of it having to to figure out what they're going to do with their personal finances and get through the next what looks like three to six months of us being in this situation uh, according to what the government sources are saying. I want to bring in Bo Humphreys, my co-host. Hey, Bo, how's it going? Yeah, I'm doing all right. Still, uh, Still at home. Still at home, yeah. I'm still at home too. I went out one. I went out one day this week. Uh, yesterday, um, I gotta say, I did a circle around to a couple of the grocery stores that are a little bit more uh, economical, and they had very long lineups. Oh, and wow. then I decided because all I really needed was, uh, and I know this is not what we should be doing, but at the time, all I really needed was eggs and bread. And I'm like, I just want to go somewhere very quickly and get out. And I went to the more expensive grocery store, and lo and behold no lineup. So again, you know, uh, because I only needed a couple of things, it was no big deal for me. And I also actually found that they they had a sale going on. So it was okay. But again, you know, we've been talking about this for a couple of weeks now that this, uh, this pandemic is affecting people in low income situations, far greater than it is affecting people who have money and have full time jobs and are able to work from home. It Um, it seems to be compounding, Uh, like, right, it's, it's like, you lose your job, so you got to go to the the place that is the cheapest, and then the, the lineups are long, and you're more likely to be exposed to someone. It's just it sounds like the worst. That's exactly it. It's that you know the people who are suffering the most are made to suffer the most to get the basic things for their family, and then they're putting mm. themselves more more in harm's way, so then are more likely to get sick. Like everything is just like you said, a snowball effect. Of uh, whereas, and and I have to also admit that at this grocery store, um, not many people were wearing masks. Yeah. Which I was really surprised about. And I don't know whether that's an elitist thinking that, uh, you know, that somehow they're immune because they live in big homes and have fancy cars. I don't know. I'm, I'm just really just making an assumption. Maybe I went on a day where we, all the people without masks showed up. I don't know. I, well, I think it's actually uh, it's people are feeling uncomfortable about wearing masks because it's we don't know. Is that OK? Is that or is it frowned upon? Uh, should we all be doing it? Uh, I don't I don't know the rules. I don't know what to do. Yeah, I mean, I I've been wearing a, like a scarf. And then when I go into a closed location, like a grocery store or a pharmacy to pick something up, I put the scarf over my nose, just so that I tell I can t- give the signals to other people that I'm making sure that if I am um, asymptomatic, that I'm not putting you in harm's way. And also I'm protecting myself. So it's more about others. And um, 
I just was surprised at this store that they, because I have been seeing more and more masks, especially at the stores where uh, the the groceries, the grocery costs are a little bit lower. And so people, you know, might be in there trying to save some money. They're all wearing masks. And then I go to this fancy grocery store and it was just unusual for me to see that the sort of the contrast between the two places, because I'd sort of driven around kind of looking for a place where I could just go quickly in and out. And um, that's kind of what I witnessed. Again, you know, it all comes down to privilege, right? To be able to drive around, to be able to uh, buy enough to last you longer so that you only needed bread and eggs, right? It's, uh, yeah, it all just adds up. You know, we tried to buy for two weeks, but, uh, you know, the two weeks of groceries costs like $300, Absolutely. Really? Yeah. And a lot of and people don't have that kind of money in their don't. bank account. Yeah. Yeah. Like that it's not even the ability to do it. And on top of that, some people can only carry what they can carry uh, with their hands and push in a cart even or just carry the bags in their hands. You know, I I used to not have a car. Shopping is a very different experience. Yeah. And you I mean and then if you have a smaller apartment, where do you keep all that extra food? You know, you don't have a deep freezer where you can keep that food fresh. You don't have extra storage space where you can put all your, you know, toiletries or everything that you are told that you should buy in bulk. There's just no the place to put it. So layers and layers of privilege is really showing at this time. That's it's really that's kind of one of the main themes right now, right? It, like we were, like we talked about last week about working from home. Oh, just work from home, or working from home is uncomfortable because I can't do all the things I normally do. Uh, they're just all really privileged situations. I saw this really great clip on the BBC um, of a anchor. She did a cold open. A cold open is just, you know, no music, just talking to camera um, and uh, talked exactly about that, about the privilege, about the people who are working. So the grocery store clerks, the people in the pharmacies, um, nurses, these are often people who are not paid the money that maybe doctors might be paid. Not that doctors, they deserve all the respect. It's not, this is not a one them against them kind of, you know, uh, conversation. I'm not pitting one against the other, No, no. but really trying to emphasize that outside of one group of people, most people that are working in essential services are not making very much money. Mm. And most people who are out of work are out of work, um, because they work jobs that they simply cannot do in on at home because they don't work an office or corporate job. And they already were making less to begin with. So they had, had didn't have the ability to save money. Um, I shared it on uh, my Twitter handle. I'll share it again if anybody wants to take a look. But if you if you Google BBC cold open privilege, it will come up because that's basically okay. what she talks about. It's, it's pretty powerful. It's about a minute. It's It basically speaks to everything you and I have been talking about for the last couple of weeks. And like you said, it's not about shaming. We're not comparing. We're not doing that. It's about just really acknowledging, you know, I mean, you should feel fortunate if you're in this situation. And sure, it's uncomfortable. And yeah, you uh, you got kids and uh, I got kids and everybody's got kids who they might have to deal with while working from home. It's challenging, but you're still getting paid. You still have food. You don't have to go and be exposed. There's a lot of good, too. Maybe we need to focus more on the good. (laughs) It's uh, one thing that we probably aren't doing enough of. Exactly. And I think that even if we compare it, I mean, in Canada, we're very lucky to have good supply of food. You know, if if you're not able to get uh, money to buy food, there's a lot of government programs that have been announced that will help you. 
a lot of countries, that's not the case. I mean, if you go into a lot of the Asian countries, that is not the case. Um, there's not as much support from the government. There's not as much more support from your community. I mean, even on Facebook, I'm seeing like people so generously saying, listen, I go to Costco every two weeks. If you need anything, you tell me and I'll drop it at your doorstep. So there, there is, you know, that just gives somebody that feeling of, I can, I can reach out to this person and they'll help me. And they have all the ability to go and get this stuff for me. That's not the case in, in most places in the world. They don't have that kind of support system or the government benefits in place to get them through. Mm-hmm. So today we're going to talk about a couple of things that have happened uh, sort of during this week. The number one, uh, the first thing I wanted to talk about is the labor force survey that came out on Thursday. Um, and it's, I, I don't even know how I can put into words, but it's devastating, the numbers. I mean, the banks were... The banks were thinking, uh, you know, Canada lost uh, about half a million jobs to a million jobs in March, which is already a massive number, but it was actually more than a million jobs lost in the month of March. And uh, do, do you know how the labor force survey, how they get their numbers together? Because a lot of people are saying, but people, 4 million people have applied for EI. That doesn't make any sense. So I, I, uh, have you have you had a chance to look at the labor force service? I first wanted to get your reaction, actually, about what, oh, what I- you think of that number. I looked at the article and, and how they're they're saying that the picture might be even worse because, you know, it's like people are still having their jobs, like they have coverage, but they're off, but they haven't been actually laid off. So they're not looking for work. Is that is that the deal? They're, it's whoever's looking for a job? Yeah. So um, the labor force survey, they look at a snapshot of one week in March and they uh, they interview a number of households as to what their situation is like when it comes to their job, uh, looking for a job or if they've been laid off. So mm. um, usually that works really well, because if you take a snapshot of one week and you do a you do a focused survey and you talk to a, a households that represent the whole country, you get a pretty good idea of what's happening across Canada. But we know that the first week of March and the last week of March were very different weeks yeah. when it comes did to you, jobs. Was it that middle week that they, they so used? they did Is do they I'm... well they used the 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 twenty the week of the twenty first I believe in the labor force survey but they used the second last week of the month and so there were still job losses that came after and also. Um, many people were still in that sort of flux position where they didn't know whether they were going to be laid off or not. So the numbers, you know, even though it's a million, I actually think they're a lot worse. I think that we're going to get even worse in April and maybe even in May um, as more and more people start to um, apply for EI, more and more people apply for the CERB and more people are captured in this survey to actually represent what's happening in the country. Uh, Because we know just from the numbers that 4 million people 4 million Canadian workers who had a job at the beginning of March have applied for either EI or the CERB. So whether they qualify for those two benefits or not, that's not the point. The point is, is that 4 million Canadians are now out of work when they had a job at the beginning of March. And that is devastating. I mean, the whole labor market is about 20 million people. So that is, that is a massive chunk. That is a mass, a 20% chunk of the labor force not working. Uh, and that, and you know, I, I, I covered job numbers back in 2008, 2009. I remember, um, Mm, January 2009 was the worst month on records till this, this labor force survey came out. And, uh, back then I remember I didn't work Thursdays because I was off Thursday, Friday. My executive producer called me and said, get yourself into the studio. And, you know, I worked, 
for I worked for a local station. It like business was like one little segment. Like I really didn't, you know, it wasn't really a business heavy show. But the fact that he wanted me to come in and to cover that story for the day, it was and that day was 125,000 jobs lost in month. So this is 10 times that. The numbers this, in, seem tiny when they compare it to, to, to that period. And then the ice storm in, in Quebec and Ontario was another one they compared it to, right? Like, wh- what were the other times that this might have happened? And they seem like nothing. Yeah, I mean, the, I feel like with all all um, uh, stats right now, I mean, whether it's the stock market or the labor force numbers or interest rates, whatever you look at, everything seems almost quaint compared to what we're going through now. It almost seems like we were naive. I was reading the, the labor force survey from February where we added jobs last February. So it was, you know, just talking about the economy and all the headwinds, like these kind of like keywords they left throw in there, talking <laughs> about trade relations and um, how they're expecting the economy to grow X amount this year. It almost like sounded naive. I mean, I know that nobody could have forecasted this coming, but it just felt like, oh my gosh, we were so rosy <laughs> even 30 days ago. I, it, the difference between you know one month to the next is just astounding. It's astounding. Well, there's a couple of, I mean, I'm sure there's stuff all over the internet, but there's a, a video of a, a, a woman talking to herself in the future. She recorded herself four months ago, uh, you know, like just, you know, being all nice and uh, calm about the world. 2020 is going to be like, a, you know, a great year. And and how about those Australian wildfires, right? They're going to be the talk of the year. And her future self is like, oh, yeah, I guess that did happen. Uh, but let me tell you what's going to happen. And how do you, you know, how do you even, nobody can predict this kind of stuff, right? No, Nobody can predict this I don't know. Maybe somebody could have. They didn't tell us. Yeah. I mean, now people are doing a lot of like, could have, we should have known, we could have done more. I, I, like, and there's a lot of finger pointing happening in all governments, whether it be in the United States or here in Canada, that why didn't we learn from what we saw was coming, like from, from China, from Asia, and then from Italy, like the writing was on the wall. But I still think that this is one of those things that, it's like a tsunami. Like you don't yeah. really believe it until it's here because it's yeah, they, so they knew unbelievable. Something. Yeah. yeah. They knew something, but they, they didn't know that this was going to happen. Nobody did. I, that, it's, it's hard. That's hard to, to judge. Of course, in hindsight, everyone's like, yeah, well, it was obvious, wasn't it? I mean, yeah. I mean, a lot of people are saying that they could have done more. They could have, especially the shutting of the borders, like the travel restrictions should have mm. come in earlier. But, you know, at the time, because um, most people were not really on board with what was happening, didn't really have a good understanding, shutting the borders also would create a political problem where it makes, it, I mean, a lot of people were calling uh, countries racist for shutting uh, travel down from certain countries. So sure. they have to also deal with all of that, those other pressures of you know, they don't want to come off as being incentivized. They definitely don't want to come off as being racist. They don't want to stop business from coming into the country on, uh, you know, prematurely because that hurts businesses here in Canada. There's so many factors when they decide to shut travel down. So I have no sort of criticism of any governments of what they're doing, but I definitely think that nobody could have really prepared. And the, the labor force survey, just a small example of how naive we were in February. You know, we added jobs and we're thinking the economy is going to, you know, slow in the summer and the fall and there may be an interest rate hike, like all these kind of like sort of things that we talked about. Um, are we hearing from economists and, and forecasters? 
they seem like, didn't you know what was going on? Like, how could we have not seen this? <laughs> yes. They're just doing what they normally do and look at all the data in the world and put it all together, right? Exactly. Yeah. Um, Nobody's ready for this. So the unemployment rate jumped to 7.8%. Remember, we were at near a 40-year low before mm. this. So we have, you know, really, back in 2009, I don't have the data in front of me, but I believe the interest, the unemployment rate went to close to this, close to 8% back then. So, and I think we're going to go much higher. I mean, some people are predicting 15% unemployment, even higher in places like Alberta, 25% unemployment. I mean, really just numbers we've never had to deal with before. The economy's never managed before. We don't even know what this means. I mean, it's just such uncharted waters, as they say. Well, a really interesting uh, thing that I heard too was, you know, let's say this all ends tomorrow and, and uh, you know, everyone starts getting their jobs back. It's not going to be everybody all at once, right? Like they're going to sort of be cautious in putting people back because they don't know they're going to have to test out the waters, right? Yeah, I mean, it's like a lot of a lot of um, news outlets have been saying it's not like sw- putting on a light switch, you know, like that, yeah. that's not how the economy comes back on. And, you know, if you listen to south of the border, uh, their lovely president down there thinks that that's what it is. Like you just turn on a light switch and everything is going to go back to what it was. The uh, co- yeah. Stock market, people driving to their jobs. No, it, first of all, even as a human human race, we need time to understand what's happened to us and then get back into society, right? So we need time to sort of just process everything. Um, so getting back onto public transit, working in close quarters, going into food courts, just all of that is going to take time. And we can't do it all at once. Like nobody is ready for that. So they're going to have to do it slowly. Companies are going to have to manage whatever that means. So whether that means getting, you know, 10% of the workforce to come back and then 20% and then mandating that X amount of people work from home at, you know, what whatever their situation is going to be, they're going to have to figure out how they're slowly going to get back to normal. And it's going to be a new normal. It's not, we need to forget about what we had before the pandemic because that's never coming back. We are going to yeah, be a totally a, different society. That's a really good point too. I mean, I can imagine some people maybe are thinking about how they can make money in a new way. If you did something that, if you have other skills that you might not have been using, maybe you can transfer them to online skills. And I don't know, is everything, nobody's going back to normal. You think people are just sitting there waiting for their jobs to come back or are they being proactive? What are you hearing? I don't think anyone's being proactive right now. No way. Well, I mean, there's no opportunity to be proactive. I mean, like I've read over and over again about the mental health impact that this is having on people. Yeah, of course. And so if you want to be productive, you have to have healthy, you have to have, your mental health has to be good. You have to feel good about your situation. You have to feel good about the world in order to go out there and be an entrepreneur or, you know, try to build a business or even build an online business, anything. It it all requires you to be healthy. And a lot of people are not feeling very healthy. Even those who may not have underlying conditions, they may just be feeling anxiety. And anxiety is not a very good driver of of creativity. I mean, it doesn't, it, it usually just kind of paralyzes you and makes you feel like you can't do anything and you just want to get through day to day. A lot of people are just talking about that day to day. Uh, I'm going to get up today. I'm going to just do whatever it is that I need to do for my family and uh, make sure that, you know, we stay home and we stay healthy and 
those basic things. Um, it, it is survival mode, right? And and uh, of course, anxiety over uh, do I even with the benefits that are being offered, do I am I making enough? Do I have enough to cover? Maybe I don't have any savings. I need this, but I make more than this usually. That's got to be tough. Yeah. And so um, with the CERB, like you mentioned, it's $2,000 a month. A lot of people make more than $2,000 a month. So their life, whether it's their mortgage and their, their car payments and their groceries, everything else in combination costs more than that. So they may be short. Even the fact that, you know, a lot of things have been put in place to defer. We're going to talk about that too. Defer mortgages, defer yeah. costs. Um, th- they still may not be able to cover all their costs from $2,000. $2, the one thing I wanted to mention about CERB which um, wasn't clear to me at the beginning of last week, was that um, uh, it's not like you apply for it and you get it for 16 weeks. You have to apply every month for four weeks. And you can okay. use your 16 weeks in any – you can use those 16 weeks in four-week four chunks uh, anytime between March 15th and uh, October 3rd, I believe the date is. So oh, there's wow. a seven-month period where – what they're recognizing is that if you're a contract worker or a gig worker, you may be coming in and out of work. And Mm. so you may have, you have to fulfill, I believe it's something like X amount of days that you haven't had any income. So you may have a month where you make a little bit of money, so you're okay, but then next month you're not okay. So they're making it flexible in that way. But that does put the onus on the person to apply for that four weeks of money so that you have it. According, anecdotally speaking, I mean, I'm looking on Twitter, people are saying they get it the next day. So it's pretty quick that you get the money. Um, And the other thing is, is that they're not really assessing anybody. So they're really going on an honor system. So most people who apply are getting it. I I actually, I think the article I read was that anybody who applies is getting it. But next year when you get assessed on your taxes, they're going to look back and say whether you qualified or not. So make sure that... yeah. Well, that makes sense. Uh, make sure you sorry, you're going to say make sure that you actually do your research first. Yeah, and make sure that you're not being dishonest. I mean, if you're answering all their questions honestly and that you honestly aren't making any money, you should be fine. Uh, but if you're making money and then trying to get the CERB, they're going to come after you for that money in a year's time. Okay, so the way it works is not that you can apply and you won't know that you're you don't qualify. There's, there'll be some kind of answer to a question that'll tell you, yeah, this probably isn't for you. And then if you proceed and say the opposite, then you're actually committing some kind of fraud. Exactly, exactly. Because you have to actually say, I'm not making money when maybe you are making money, right? Yeah. That, okay. that's, and so what they're saying is that we're taking everybody on their honor because there's really no way that they can check. Um, at this, at this, you know, the, the, just the sheer number of people that are applying for this. So they're giving everybody the money, anybody who applies for the CERB. And then next year on your taxes, cause that's going to be counted as taxable income. They're going to look back and say whether you actually, um, needed it at that time or not. Well, it's not much different than filing your taxes, right? Like, you know, I could file my taxes and get a $4,000 refund right now. Um, actually that's probably going to happen for me, but, Somebody could do that and make up the information to get to that point too. And they don't check that. They may actually, they may never check it. If it seems really weird and unreasonable, it'll probably come up in a, 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 you know, some kind of formulas that they use to check. But normally you wouldn't uh, be checked unless you're audited. That's how our tax system works, right? So this is very similar. 
Yeah, exactly. So it's not any different. It's just that now more people may be um, at risk of being checked. That's all because yeah, more so. people are being in it are going to be in a situation where they they've claimed the CERB, and so they might they might be a little bit more thorough next year. Uh, just just be aware that if you're not being honest, there's a chance that you may have to pay that money back, and that's not going to feel good because uh, you probably will have spent it by next May. I don't know. Uh, do you think we we should have done something more like what the states did? I'm just uh, you know looking at the different ways that different countries are doing this. They're, they're giving like $1,200 to everybody, no matter. I'm just wondering. And then some people who don't need it, they're going to buy an iPhone. I, <laughs> you know, I I don't know which way is better. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I don't like the way the states are doing it. I think that, like you said, like people are using the money for things they don't need. I mean, get the money into the pockets of the people who need it. Yeah, and um. I also have heard that not everyone has got this money. It's 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 coming slow. Uh, it's mm. not like the checks have not arrived. Um, unlike here in Canada, the states there are a lot of places where people don't have bank accounts. I mean, I know in people, I know in Canada there are people that don't have bank accounts as well, but there is a lot more people in, lot the states more in the states who live in rural areas that don't have bank accounts that may or may not understand, may not have access to the internet. There's a lot of other uh, factors that go into, and they have a bigger population of like 300 through whatever million it is. So yeah. they have more people to deal with. So sending everybody a 1.2 million, a 1. Uh, 1.2 million, uh, $1,200 check is <laughs> It just like is Bill Gates getting that? I don't know. Like, does he really need twelve hundred dollars? Like, why is everyone getting this check? That's you a should, good point. At, you I, at the I, very that, least, have a have a system where you can check who, where people can apply for the money if they need opt it. Opt out, right? I was just thinking, like, yeah, wouldn't would Bill Gates get this check? Is that really that's what's going to happen? Um, I wouldn't be surprised if that's actually happening. They don't have a list. Like, do they have a billionaires list that they just don't, oh don't send them that? And then I like. Yeah, exactly. And then what about the guy with 900 million? Does he still get yeah, it? Like, you exactly. know what I mean? where's, like, the, where's the cutoff? Where's the, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it's, they should at least be able to opt out, right? Uh, one question. You send everybody in the United States uh, an email or a letter. I don't know how you get things to people quickly, you know, in the mail these days. I don't know if that actually works. But and then they got to mail back their answer. Um, it's, it's still when somebody said, tells me they don't have email or access, I just I don't understand. Uh, that these days but you're right there are a lot of people and so yeah they're not going to get it quickly just because maybe even the the u.s postal service is not working very fast um, yeah i'm not sure how canada post is doing these days yeah i mean there's so many factors in the states and you talked about internet access a lot of people who don't have access to a computer access their email at the library and libraries okay. are closed yep. and so there's a lot of uh there's a lot of barriers for people to um to access uh, access digital information, um, mailing them a check for $1,200. You know, this is the same criticism I used to have of the old uh, Canada benefit that was a child benefit rather that was, um, uh, I can't remember exactly, $160 a child, I believe, under six and then 65 over six, something like that. But everybody got it. The Galen Weston family got it. You know what I mean? Like it, yeah. people who don't need the money got it. And so I really liked it when the new government brought in an income tested version because then the people who need the money are actually getting it and they're getting more because they, you know, they may have a greater need for it rather than giving money to people who don't necessarily, they're just using that to just, you know, pad their kids' savings accounts. It doesn't, that, that, that's not what that money is for. Yeah. And, and 
I mean, nobody's going to turn down money given to them by the government because I'm sure those people uh, pay lots of taxes and they feel that, yeah, any money back is great. But they're not going to go and apply for it if they don't need it. So that's, that is, I think that is the better version, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I wanted to talk a little bit about car insurance because um, there has been um, some call for a while for uh, for insurers to lower premiums because people are simply not driving. Um, even for us, I mean, we haven't filled up gas since this whole thing began. We've just, are, you know, we don't go anywhere. So there's nowhere, you know, to fill up gas. Uh, there's no reason to fill up gas. And um, insurers have responded and said that uh, they will lower rates. Uh, there was one article I read where a lady called, I guess her insurer was TD Insurance. And they said, absolutely, that's the language she used. Absolutely, we will lower it. So that is one way if you are... Uh, if you are feeling that you, you know, your money is really tight, is that to call your uh, insurance company, your car insurance company, and get those rates lowered because they are doing it uh, for. But you have to phone. It's not like they're doing it automatically. Well, yeah, because they they don't know if you're not, not still driving for work, right? I mean, I, I I talked to somebody this week. He's still working. He's driving from Hamilton to Scarborough every day. Um, okay. Spending more gas than most of us, uh, you know, in in a couple of days than we do in a month, especially now. So they, you know, if they did it across the board, it wouldn't be fair. Uh, but yeah, like I mean, we sh- if your circumstances change in any case, right? We should be calling people, and we should be looking at our finances like this. I mean, ho- I hopefully this spurs more diligence, and you know, looking at your finances every so often, doing an audit, like, hey, should I be paying this much still? I don't do that anymore. Yeah, that's a really good point. I, there, there's one story I read where. Um, They've both lost their jobs and they're at home. So they've decided just to give up the car. So they're just not going to drive. Mm-hmm. And so they've just called their insurance company and said, just cancel our insurance because we're not driving. So they're going to be biking everywhere. Um, but I mean, that's a pretty extreme example. And also, you know, you have to be in a very specific situation to do that. But a lot of times, you know, like when, like when I got married, we both had our cars. And the first thing we did was we got rid of one car because we both live in one house. Why are we paying two insurances and two maintenance costs and two everything, even though the cars were paid off? Um, and immediately that put quite a little bit of money into our pocket. I think about a few hundred dollars in insurance costs alone uh, because we got rid of that one car. Exactly. I was driving Uber the last two years and I stopped uh, at the end of the year uh, when I started working full time. And... I you know I haven't told them yet. I I you know it probably will make a difference. I, I drove like ten thousand kilometers in the year for Uber, and they know they knew that right. It was intact. They they do the insurance for Uber, right? So mm-hmm. they they're the only they're one of the few who will approve your personal insurance if you're driving. Other the other companies will not. Um, I got canceled by the other one. I won't mention them. Um, just for telling them that I was an Uber driver. Uh, so that that wasn't fun, but uh, you know make the call maybe what should we call our cell phone companies too i don't know who else should we who else should we talk to everybody yeah i mean if you have the time a lot of people are talking about you know what to do with this extra time because they may be laid off and at home if you have the time the luxury of it um definitely start by calling uh your insurance companies even your home insurance I don't know whether that would change much because you're actually home more now. So I don't know if you want to bring too much <laughs> too much light to that because actually you're more of a liability being at home. But um, this uh, this this car insurance uh, plan that they've come out with, they're calling it the stay-at-home payment. Um, so they're giving uh, customers, at least uh, this all-state insurances, giving customers back a 25% 
of their monthly premium. Um, uh, it's a one-time payment. So even, even if it's, you know, hundred bucks or something, it might be, it might be worth it. Um, some companies are doing it for longer. I, I read that some companies are giving lower premiums for 90 days. So it really is a company to company, um, initiative. And so you got to call to find out, but yeah, you're right. You can call, you can call your insurance company. You can call your cell phone provider. You can call, you know, figure out whether you need all those streaming services. This is a good time to do an audit of all the things that you pay for and if they're actually worth it. And and I guess this, this will lead to the, our next topic, but at any time that you ask for a lower this or uh, some forgiveness or a deferral, if that's the, the, the only thing they offer, just find out what the consequences are. Like, uh, wait, do I have to pay more later or when's it going to come back? And, and what, what are, what's the process there, right? So deferrals are a, a really good uh, example. Like, it's just a pause. Yeah, so we talked about mortgage deferral last week um, and how banks are offering their mortgage customers the ability to pause their mortgages up to six months during this pandemic if they, for any reason, cannot afford to pay or are worried about their ability to pay. And from what I understand, it's been pretty easy to do so. And there's been some reports now out about people now finally understanding what they're signing up for. And this is something we did talk about. It's not a free it's not a free ride. It's not like the bank is saying, we're just not going to take your mortgage payments and you just start again. Uh, and you know, you tack that on six months. You didn't pay now your payment schedule is just six months longer. You're also accruing interest on all those mortgage payments that you're not making. Um, and the interest that you're not supposed that you were supposed to be making. Cause when you make a mortgage payment part, Part of it goes towards principal, part of it goes towards interest. And so you are now being charged interest on that interest. So it is an, it is, uh, an expensive, uh, expensive ask to defer your mortgage. But for some people, there is no other choice. I mean, normally I would never tell somebody to skip a mortgage payment. It's a really expensive way to manage your money. But in some cases, the only choice is is to just extend your mortgage payments down the road and um, make those extra interest payments um, whenever, whenever you can. Um, and th- that's going to be tacked on to the end of your amortization. And so they're doing that. The banks are doing it for mortgages. That was sort of the mandated thing by the government to like, at least be open to this banks. And I think they're getting help too, from the government for doing this and then credit cards too. Yeah. Yeah. So credit card companies have come out and, uh, slash their credit card interests by, uh, half, so most credit card companies are now offering 10.99, even I saw 9.99%. Again, you have to call. It doesn't happen automatically. And there's two things that people need to be aware of during this time is that credit card companies are slashing those interest rates, but this is money that you're still carrying on your credit card. If you're still paying off your credit card in full, this doesn't make any difference to you. Yeah. The interest rate could be a million percent. It doesn't matter because you're paying your credit card off and you're not paying any interest on that money that you've borrowed on your credit card. But if for some reason you need to keep a balance on your credit card because you can't afford to make the payments, call your credit card company and at least have them cut that interest rate in half. And then uh, uh, on top of that, some banks are offering, they're getting into sort of the payment, the payment, um, like the layaway payment. uh, Payment plans. Yeah. Yeah. Which, you know, we haven't seen around for a long time. And some banks are offering, uh, if you have a big purchase that you can pay it over time, you lock in that amount for a lower than that 10.99%. So in some cases, as low as 5.99%. 
um, and you pay it over time, but you're locked into that. You can't pay it off early. You've got to pay those payments as they're coming um, over a six month, one year or two year period of time. So that is still a very expensive way to buy buy your everyday items. And so just be aware of that before you go and lock in all these installment plans, because they might seem like the right thing to do now. But two years from now, you will still be paying this off and you have other expenses that are going to be coming, uh, coming out of your bank account too. Yeah. I had a client this week and, and, uh, she's paying $600 a month for furniture, uh, like the, the rent to own, uh, like she doesn't have that. And, and is it just that she had an unfurnished apartment and didn't have anything to bring in? Somebody said, Oh, this is a good deal. Um, Let's let's be more wary of these situations because you get locked in for a couple of years. You don't know what the future is going to be. This isn't the time to go buy a, bu- a bunch of you know, new washers and dryers and couches and chairs and lock, lock yourself into an agreement. Yeah, I think all extra spending should not be done. I mean, buying Anything. the basics. Yeah, buying the basics if you need to set up your home office or maybe if you need uh, some things for your kids to get their schoolwork done. Those things I think are, are, are if you can afford it, those are understandable costs that you can incur right now. But, uh, you know, renovating your home, which can't even do anyways, because construction is on non-essential construction is not allowed. But even if you're doing it yourself, all of those things sh- you should really think twice before you go and you drop a bunch of money on, um, you know, painting your house or renovating your floors or whatever it is that you, a project that you had, if it's going to cost you thousands of dollars to do it, uh, just think about the long-term effects of you using that money now. Maybe six months from now, you might actually say to yourself, wow, I wish I just put it in the bank because I could really use that thousand dollars to to buy my basics. Yeah. And then like, definitely don't take the CRB and spend that. Like th- these things, because you obviously you need it. If you applied and you, and you answered the questions correctly, you need it. So use it for living and, and take this opportunity to try to live as basic as you can. Um, you know, another uh, consequence of uh, deferral, and, you know, this is still uh, up in the air a little bit, is, is possible impact on your credit. Um, so, you know, the idea is whenever you're doing this kind of thing, whenever you're asking for this, just try to get as much in writing as possible. Try to get the company, the bank, uh, the credit card company to, to give you the, the actual full impact of what, what's going to happen when I'm like, how much is it going to cost me? What's my interest rate going to be? Is it's going to impact me in any way? And if they say something like, Oh, no worry, it won't affect your credit. Just get them to like, I don't know, write you a letter something that says that or an email. Yeah. Something that proves that they said that they're not going to ding your credit score uh, or they're not going to send a note to TransUnion or Equifax that you haven't paid your mortgage on time. Right. Right. Um, you know, I, I like, we talk about credit scores sometimes I'm like, I feel like people shouldn't worry about their credit scores so much right now. Um, yeah, but at the same time, I, I generally think the credit score is an overrated way of judging how good we are financially, where, you know, where we are financially. Um, people get so obsessed with what their score is. The fact is, is that if you take out a big mortgage today, your score is going to drop. Even if yeah. you've paid every, made every payment on your utility bills, always had your credit card paid off on time, everything is done. The minute you take more loan, your credit rating drops because you become more of a risk to lend to. And so people need to realize that when you're operating in the world and you're borrowing money and you're, and you're, and you're taking money out on your credit card, that all of that affects your credit score. But that doesn't necessarily mean that you're a bad person. It just means that you may be in the most amount of debt right now 
in your life because you just got a new house or you just bought a new car or whatever it is that it doesn't mean, I mean, the work, if you have a low credit score without any of those things, there may be a problem there because you don't pay your bills on time. But sometimes it has to do with just the fact that you have more debt. I, I meet with people every day who are, you know, either just recently were so upset with their credit score that they didn't want to come in and, uh, with us and file uh, for a proposal or bankruptcy. Um, but like they would take a good credit score over having to pay interest uh, every, only payments every month for the rest of their life and never have any money for themselves. Uh, having money is more important than having a good credit score, you know, in ter- especially at, at this time, right? A good credit score is not going to save you right now. Yeah. And I mean, no one really, I mean, and I shouldn't say no one, but very few people I think out there are looking for homes to buy um, and are also um, in the market to, to, to take on a big, big amount of debt. Uh, you shouldn't be anyways. This is not, this is not the time to shop around for loans. In, in my opinion, this is a time to really get um, serious about your finances and make sure that you're um, living within your means and also, um, you know, being realistic about what the future holds, whether it be your job or whether you're getting benefits and how long this is going to last. Because, you know, at the beginning of the podcast, I mentioned that governments are now hinting that um, this could be longer than we thought. And uh, the Trudeau recently said that until there is a vaccine, we can expect to have some kind of social distancing um, in our in our country because it's just not safe until we are all vaccinated against this. Even if we eradicate it, it could still be bubbling somewhere, and that is enough for it to come back. It just needs just needs one person to have it um, to to bring it back into uh, to to a population. Yeah, it's it's really. You talked about you know we're not going back to normal. Uh, you know, there's probably going to be a lot more conversation about what the new normal will look like. Uh, a little bit of a hybrid of the past and and what we're doing now, right? Yeah. So, you know, Bo, I think we talked about a lot of great things today. We talked about how um, how many well, not great things. We talked about how devastating these numbers were. I wanted to. You texted me this quote. I think it's really powerful. It really sort of speaks to what we've been talking about, and it's from Statistics Canada. The first workers to experience job losses as a result of COVID nineteen are among those least able to withstand economic hardship. And nothing could be more true. The first people that were laid off were retail workers, those on minimum wage jobs, those who work in people's homes, whether it be as a caregiver or a house cleaner, uh, those people who run small businesses that have been forced to shut their doors, that uh, that operate on thin margins, just enough so they can pay their employees and then collect a small salary themselves. Those are the people that are most affected, not people who work in the tall buildings on Bay Street or work in the big corporations. Those people are being taken care of by by and large by their company because they are able to work from home and still be valuable to the company that they work for. Yeah. And so, you know, is the government the only uh, place that these people can go for money right now? Yeah. I mean, a lot of people might be thinking, oh, how can I make some extra money? Some people even have put on Facebook, is there anyone hiring right now? I think the most important mm-hmm. thing to do is to uh, live within the means that you have, uh, collect as much of the benefits that you can from the government, whether it be CR- CERB or EI. In Ontario, for example, there's also extra money for uh, families. Uh, if you, you can apply for, there's a child benefit of uh, $200 uh, for families, if your child is under the age of 12, um, there's other benefits out there. It's not just those two, the EI and the CERB, the provinces that are offering it. Um, talk to all the different companies that you can defer or have loan forgiveness 
or payment forgiveness, whatever it is uh, going forward. And so all of that's going to help you too. And uh, take care of yourself, stay home and stay safe because that's the reason why we're going through all of this. And I forgot to mention uh, the the HST, GST, HST rebate, um, the credit that everybody gets every quarter, not everybody, but people of a certain income, uh, they just doubled that and put it in everybody's account a couple of days ago. Um, I know because I got it because we were low income last year. Uh, it's, it was double what we got. So, yeah. How much do you get? Is it based on income or um, it is, is it a set it, amount that you get? It is. I, it is. I don't know if it's a sliding scale. I think it might be just below a certain income. But yeah, like we got 183 every every quarter, right? So uh, we got that. We got the full uh, $733 uh, deposited in lump sum. And I'm sure uh, many other Canadians got that too. So that is that is a nice help in a time when a lump sum is way better than $183 every three months. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. You can then buy things that you need now because you don't have the ability to make money now. And in six months, you may have the ability to go out there and make money and that GSD credit may not be as valuable to you. And then another $300 uh, per kid, I think, is coming for the child child uh, tax benefit. That's right. That's um, in May. In May. Yeah. So yeah. like these these are little, like that's a little smaller even, uh, depending on how many kids you got, it could be nice. But um, all these little things are supposed to help if you plus the benefits and, and like you said, all the other things you said, you know, mostly just uh, take care of yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And um, it, every week things are changing. So, you know, don't, don't be obsessed with watching the news, but definitely stay in touch with what's happening because a lot of these things require a little bit of work. Um, either you have to call the company or you have to apply for it online. Some things are coming automatically, but I'd say 50% of the stuff isn't. So you need to actually do some legwork to get take advantage of these things. And so and it's worth it for you because it's going to save you hundreds of dollars and a lot of stress at a time when people are feeling very financially strapped. Um, and so th- that's that's really important is to stay on top of all the things that are coming. Absolutely. So this has been a great conversation. I think, you know, as we move through this pandemic, we're going to be talking about different struggles every week. But I think the the the, the theme is really about survival and Canadians trying to survive this time, uh, however long it's going to last uh, with the amount of money that we have. Some of us are blessed to or lucky enough to have, you know, our full time jobs. Some of us have lost our jobs right in the beginning and are now depending on government benefits to get through. Whatever your situation is, we're all going through this in different ways, um, but we're all going through this. And so it's important to continue to talk about it and continue to bring to light all the things that are available for Canadians uh, to, to save them some money and get them through these financially hard times. I'll see you next week. Yeah, Bo, thanks so much. See you next week. Uh, Great conversation. And if you guys uh, liked what you heard, please go to our website at dearruby.com, D-E-A-R-R-U-B-I.com. And you can send Bo and I a note. You can send us a question. You can ask us anything that we talked about today on the podcast. And let us know if there's something that, you know, we're not discussing that you think is important to discuss that we can talk about on the program next week. So until then, take care.